<clears throat> Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 15. Would you like me to come up and preach political sermons every Wednesday? And, or do you want to just address the word and see what God has to say about how messed up we are <laughs> and his solutions? This evening's message is entitled The Lying King. And it is not my intention to sound self-righteous in pointing out all of Saul's failures that the Holy Spirit is pointing out and has preserved in history. Can anyone point to any redeeming features about this man? Is there anything good in this man, really good, that you could say, hey, he did this? Uh, you'd, you'd be hard-pressed. In this chapter, it's remaining of... We covered the first 12 verses last session. But here we find him lying to himself, lying in the presence of God, lying to the prophet of God, and feeling that he could do no wrong. He had no problem covering up his sin, his error and failures by blaming others. And this was habitual. It was a pattern here. It wasn't one or two times a prayer. It was just constant with this man. He's never wrong. And no matter who it hurt or what it cost, he was just unmoved by the damage he inflicted with his behavior. Because he has a lot of power. He's the king. He's not, you know, some person in an in insignificant position. And he is shameless. And so let's look at verse 13. That's where we resume. Then Samuel went to Saul... And Saul said to him, Blessed are you of Yahweh. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. This would be a wonderful and welcomed greeting if it were coming from a man such as his son Jonathan, the crown prince. Sort of like Judas Iscariot, you know, giving a, a kiss. A kiss is supposed to be a, an emblem of friendship, of love, of care. Coming from Judas, it was something very ugly and unclean. And the same here, this greeting, blessed are you in Yahweh's name. I've, command, I've followed all the commandments of God. It was insincere. It was religious language. And it was the language of a mere churchgoer. I mean, there are good churchgoers and there are bad ones too. So, was he trying to put Samuel off guard? And distract him with this pious behavior? Or was he actually just so full of himself? How could anybody catch him, call him out on anything? Did he really think Samuel was so dumb? Because he's not obeyed God. He's done the opposite of the commandment. And in a, it just gets worse for him. Instead of owning his sin... When busted, he, he continues to make things just go terribly wrong for him. He is too whatever to notice. And when I say that, he's too whatever. What does he care? I mean, who, who wants to sit down and psychoanalyze the man? Not, I mean, it's just too much stuff. We just know what he is. So whatever it is, he doesn't notice that Samuel's fed up. He can't see. Man, the man has traveled 15 miles looking for him. He's just come from... The last stop that we read about, where they said, well, Saul's not here. He's built a monument to himself. And it's with that 15 miles of bad road. It's with the knowledge that he's disobeyed God. That he's going to call out this king. And this king can't see it in the face of Samuel. Because he's, too, he's that self-centered. The lessons, I mean, we'll be getting to David in the next chapter, and it won't be just like a nice, cool glass of water. But Saul's still going to be part of everything. But this, it's just so many lessons about how not to be a human being, how not to be a believer of God, just looking at this man. You, maybe there, you have a neighbor you'd like to have read this. So just tell me if you see yourself in this anywhere. Well, he really couldn't care about Samuel's face. The only face he cared about was his own. And it's just too easy to overanalyze the man. But I, at the same time, you, how, do you, how do you pass by? I mean, I found myself 
shaving off so much information. I can't, it's just no time. We don't have enough time to say. And probably a little bit overkill anyway. Anyway, he says, I have performed the commandment of the Lord here in verse 13. It said with self-satisfaction. There's a glee to this, these words coming from him. Uh, he really thought, or at least he behaves this way, that God would be pleased with his better idea than God's idea, than God's commandment. It was Saul's brand of obedience. How could God reject that? You listen to this and you say, can anybody be this delusional? Yeah, very quickly too. These are the exact, this is the exact opposite of what God commanded him. He said, I've obeyed everything he told me. Chapter 15, look at verse 3, going backwards a little bit. Now go and attack Amalek, said the prophet to Saul, and utterly destroy all that they have, and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. It's <laughs> very clear. Rabbit and butterfly and flea. I mean, just nothing was to survive. But that is not what he does. But he says, I have performed the commandment of, of Adonai. No, you have not. It is a blue ribbon lie. It is such a lie that you get an award from the, the liar award committee. And this is the king. Starting off with a, you know, a pious, pious greeting, and, which is a pirated pious, pious greeting. Okay, I'm messing up my peas there. And Samuel is supposed to just be good with this, but Samuel is going to call him out. He's not going to let him off the hook. Saul doesn't pick it up yet, and even when he gets it, he really won't care too much. So, was it fair in Saul's thinking to go ahead and kill the men, the women, the children, and the infants, but spare some of the sheep and the king? Agag, as a trophy, of course. And he is delusional, and he is arrogant at the same time, and he's an arrogant liar, and he thinks that everyone else is too dumb to see through him. And only his opinion matters. Bottom line is Saul did not love the truth. You know when Paul talks to the Thessalonians, writes to the Thessalonians, he said, because they did not have a love for the truth, but took pleasure in the lie. That's Saul. Verse 14, then Samuel said, what then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Are you kidding me? You're looking right into my face lying to me with all of the, of the spoils around and you think I'm too stupid to see this? Fat sheep, blue ribbon, Amalekite cattle, Voicing their objections to being there. Samuel hears it. Classic response to a liar is, what about these facts I've got here? The evidence. They disagree with what you're saying. And so Samuel pulled back the rug because Saul swept his lies beneath it. 1 Samuel 15, verse 11. He has turned back from following me, God speaking to Samuel. And has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel. And he cried out to Yahweh all night. I think it exhausted Samuel at that point. He's past that now. And, and now he's just doing the business of, of Yahweh. Uh, neither God nor Samuel were picking on this man. They were confronting. They were confronting him. His disregard for truth, for God's word. They were not picking on it. And if it appears that, like, that way, tough. Someone lying to your face like that. Oh, you're picking on me. If that's what you believe, then you have it. Uh, it. I really don't care if you think that. At this point, if, if that's the position you're going to take, I don't care enough to, to give in to it. And so I, I get the feeling reading this, that Samuel arrived irritated by Saul's shenanigans, and he's greeted by more of them. And what are we supposed to do reading this? Uh, anyway, verse 15, Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to Yahweh your God, and the rest 
we have utterly destroyed. Let's just close and go home. He's such a fool. His first words, what are the first words out of his mouth? They, not me. They did this. I'm innocent. You're the ruler. You're the king. You're not fit to command because you won't obey. Jesus was a man of authority because he was under the authority of his father. And he made that very clear. I always do those things he tells me to do. So his first words, shift the blame to those he was supposed to be caring for and leading. The kings of Israel were supposed to be known as shepherds of Israel. This man's a butcher, shamelessly deflecting the guilt to other people. It was never his fault, as he did previously in chapter 13, when he went ahead and sacrificed without Samuel. Well, the people, you know, they were, they were, they were just you know, getting upset and leaving me, and I, I had to do it. An excuse which could not be allowed. And Samuel, thank God, is not going to stand for it. The word gain will bite Saul and it's going to bite him very quickly. And it's going to sort of a time release because he's going to be suffering the fact that David is liked much more than him. And it will burn in him with a hatred that is bloodthirsty for the man that is loved by the people. And... Uh, as much as Samuel loved Saul and wanted him to succeed, Samuel is going, uh, well, he's not going to withhold the truth and the rebuke and the judgments that are coming Saul's way, which Saul is unmindful at the very moment. Samuel, of course, is not. He says to sacrifice to Yahweh your God. This is Saul speaking. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. Yeah, God said wipe out everything, but I, I, you know, I, I felt I, I should exercise uh, some executive privilege as king and make the decision to edit what God said in the interest of the people. There are Christians that do the same thing with God's word. Saul has an answer for everything. Will you just shut up? Can you just shut up and let the prophet tell you what God has for him? No, he cannot. He's too full of himself. David, David, when he's put in these situations, responds entirely different. No one is saying David was squeaky, clean, and pure. We are saying when David was confronted with truth, he, su- he submitted to the truth. And he did it in a, in a tremendous way. And so the first step toward this selective obedience is to reclassify sin. It's not sin. I've done everything God told me to do. I've saved these for sacrifice. I'm changing the classification. Well, you don't have that authority. Does not matter? All I need to have is enough dumb people who are able to, to just submit to it. And so he is looking to make sin look tolerable and acceptable instead of abominable, and he's using God to do it. This is for sacrifice, indulgences. It will, I will be forgiven if I pay it to Yahweh, give him enough goodies, and he will leave you alone. That has been the doctrine of the Catholic Church with their indulgences. God prohibited the tree of knowledge of good and evil to Adam and Eve, but Eve, not as systematic as Saul, but still comes to the same place. She reclassified it as good for food. And she looked and she said, it's good for food. No, it's not. It's poison. You're told not to eat it. You're reclassifying it. You're saying it's something other than what God has classified it as. He's put it in this class. Keep your fingers off of it. Sacrifice is what he is saying. These are for sacrifice, Samuel. If the humans can just be inconvenienced a little bit, then it can take the place of obedience. So I can be disobedient as long as I'm inconvenienced a little bit. I can order a mafia hit, but if I give enough money to the church, it really won't count against me. You know, Moses was not allowed to cross into the promised land as much as he even tried to lean on God about this because God said, speak to the rock, and Moses struck the rock. And for that, for that, he was prohibited in his lifetime from entering into the promised land. However, it was what the deal was with Moses. He, he presented God as angry with the people when God was not angry with them. Moses was angry with the people. 
And don't tell the Lord, as I always say, but I side with Moses. <laughs> On a human level, it's like, who can put up with these people, God? He should have smite some of the people, never mind the rock. Well, let's look at the school of the fool, Saul. The people spared the oxen and the sheep. Blame those whom you lead for the wrong that you do. Classic, right? And a petty person. But they spared the best stuff, God. Surely you'll understand that. So it is acceptable to disobey God if it is worthwhile. To sacrifice. This is why they spared the best. Ritual buys God's favor. You just walk up some steps on your knees and all your sins are gone. Who needs a savior? And he says to Yahweh. That's his password, lip service. You've got to have that. You can't say Baal or Ashtoreth, but you can say Yahweh. You can say, how many people try to disarm you by telling you, well, this is a Jesus Christ-led business? Well, maybe they're sincere sometimes, but sometimes they're not. He says, your God, to sacrifice to your God. Wait, wait one minute here. Isn't he your God too? Didn't you just greet me in the name of Yahweh? What's going on with this? No communion. That's what's going on. Saul has no communion with God. He doesn't love the truth. And then finally, and he says, and the rest we've slaughtered. Man-made standard. We've, we've adjusted God's word because it really wasn't that good. It needed to be fixed. And so we've edited it. And there are scholars in the strict sense of the word that they study something, but not that they're right or good or anything, or even believers, but scholars, many of them, over the centuries have done just that, tried to corrupt the word of God by sparing what they felt was worth sparing. And this, you know, the Jesus seminar that used to be, I don't even know if it exists anymore, uh, but uh, uh, they'll continue it in hell when they get there. And what essentially it was is they've decided to, we will decide what in the Bible is to be accepted and what is not to be accepted. How do you even do that with a straight face? In the neighborhood that I was raised in, that kind of behavior gets you a beat up. You get beat up for that kind of bold-faced lying about something that is special to, to others. But anyway, I drift a little bit there. Uh, so, if God wanted to spare the best, he would have told you to spare the best. And he does not. And attempts to buy God's approval with stolen items born of disobedience, it's not humorous. It's not, la it's not funny, but it is laughable. Suggesting that God could be calmed down with stolen livestock. Verse 16, then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet, and I will tell you what Yahweh said to me last night. And he said to him, speak on. And Samuel said to Saul, shut up. Thank you, Lord, that Samuel stopped him because he would still be going on. He would just keep going on and going. And Samuel, you royal backslider, I don't want to hear you talk. Just be quiet. This is the prophet speaking to the king. He interrupts him. It's a hard verbal slap in his face. And I believe it did contribute subconsciously, which would eventually become conscious on the surface, to Saul's growing resentment for godly people. They were in the way. They always got some goody-two-shoes thing to say about God, which interferes with what he wants. And that's what's going to happen with David. I think when, when, when Saul threw the spirit, David, David was just ministering in the spirit, in truth. And Saul was being convicted, and to get away from it, he sought to kill the messenger because he was demonic. Well, Samuel's present anger is clear revelation of Samuel's loyalty to God. If the king will not be loyal, that's him. Me, as for me and my house, we're going to be loyal. Do what you got to do, and we'll do what we, we, got to, we have to do. And so he says, and I will tell you what Yahweh said to me last night. <laughs> Again, he speaks it. The tone is, I've had enough of you. And he's probably not even offered him a seat or a cup of water. He's just, you know, you see Samuel coming. He goes, oh, blessed are you, Samuel. I've done everything God said. Why, why would he even bring it up right away? Why, Samuel, have you been? How was your trip? None of that. I think if there was that happened, it would have been put in here. 
But right now, only God's opinion matters to Samuel. And I don't think that he could endure much more of Saul's outrageous brand of truth, tailored truth. But here's what Saul says. And he said, speak on. Don't you just want to taser the guy? He's a little arrogant. Say it. I don't care what his tone is. Knowing the man, knowing the man, it was just, well, say it. Get it out. Yeah, it's going to cost you your throne. Is it worth it? It's all verse 17. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not Yahweh anoint you king over Israel? So Samuel winds the clock back and he says, remember when you were at least apparently humble? You looked like you were humble when I first met you. But we pointed out when he first met him how, how the, the servant with Saul was more in tune to God then Saul was in tune. But what this also says is that God gives chances to nobodies. It gives them a chance to be someone. He's going to repeat this with David. David was just a shepherd boy, the son of Jesse. And God gives him a chance to be the king of Israel, and he is. He becomes the king of Israel. And how many psalms, how much scripture does... You know, the, in Deuteronomy, the, the kings were to write for themselves a copy of the law of Moses... Well, David, whether he did that or not, it is not explicitly said. But what we do know he did is he wrote more scripture. And so what did Saul write? A terrible record. Humility and, you know, this giving nobodies a chance where he's taking them. You were once humble, at least on the, in, a, in appearance. Humility is not thinking lower of yourself. It simply is not thinking of yourself. And Saul, of course, always thought of himself, ergo, being self-centered. 1 Samuel 9, verse 21, Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel and my family, the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak like this to me? See, he had that humility, which wasn't genuine humility. It was just factual. You really are nobody, and you just recognize it. But given the chance to be a somebody, you're going to mess it all up because you're going to think you deserve it anyway. Dave Hunt, in his book, Beyond Seduction of Christianity. Now, the, the seduction of Christianity, the characters are pretty much outdated, and that brand of sin is not as strong as it was when Dave Hunt wrote the book. But it is worthwhile. It is worth reading. Uh, and we do carry it in the chapel store. Uh, this is uh, a shameless endorsement of the book. Uh, I have no. It is. Uh, I loved it when I first read it. But again, you'll just have to. You'll. Everything still fits other people and other sins. But Dave Hunt says this: one of the Bible's major purposes is to correct man's high view of himself. Yet, it is now interpreted by Christian leaders to intend just the opposite. This happened when the churches were pushing self-esteem for Christians. When the Bible says, humble yourself in the presence of the Lord that he may exalt you when he is good and ready. Because you're going to have to go through a whole bunch of stuff to get your clock clean. And now we don't hear so much about it anymore because they found out man has too much self-esteem. That's the problem. Cain had so much self-esteem, he would not dare let anybody cast a shadow on him. So he killed his brother because his brother's works were righteous. And John in the New Testament says, in case you missed it, Cain was wicked. And it's not the only one. And so he says, and did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Yeah, like all the other kings of the, in the nations, that's what the people wanted. Their request, of course, was uh, when God said, Samuel, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. They're dissatisfied with my authority. Because that's what the flesh is. To the, all of us Christians, we're dissatisfied with what the, what the... Our flesh is dissatisfied with what God wants. And that's why we struggle against, you know, the spiritual man against the carnal man. Uh, but we win because of Christ and the Holy Spirit. Verse 18 now. Now Yahweh sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Well, of course, he stops. He conquers the city, but he's, instead of continuing on to other Amalekite settlements, he starts to collect the plunder. And he doesn't destroy them. 
Without submission to God, there can be no mission of God. This is beautiful words. God sent you on a mission to be on a mission from God. Well, you know, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Well, that, that entails so much more. It's not enough to just know the gospel. You have to be doing it yourself. There's a witness to maintain. There's so much involved. And so the hope is to reach the lost, but first to strengthen the saved to reach the lost. Otherwise, what are you reaching them with? Uh, it's, you know, the basic, uh, put your oxygen mask on first and you can help others. But if you can't, I mean, if the blind lead the blind, they both fall into a ditch. These are fundamental principles that are rookie mistakes when violated. We should not be making these mistakes. Well, how long would a church last without the scripture? Well, history is full of that. Shouldn't have to dig far. Anyway, he refers to them here in verse 18 as sinners. That means they're, in the context that's being used here, of course they're Amalekites, so they're worshiping false gods. They're sinners in that sense, yes. But this is going a little bit beyond. He's now saying they are offenders. They are direct offenders of Yahweh. And judge, that's why judgment has fallen upon them. Uh, it's not only with the Amalekites. It will be with the Philistines and other peoples too. But this, these are the ones that are before us now. Verse 19. When they... Why then did you not obey the voice of Yahweh? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? You got to love Samuel. You swooped down on it like a vulture. This is the same Hebrew word that was used when when Saul said no one can eat. And the the people were were eating the meat with the blood in it without properly bleeding it. Uh, And they, they they swooped down. They fell upon the feast in chapter 14, verse uh, 32. And the people rushed on the spoil. That's the same Hebrew word. And took sheep and oxen and calves and slaughtered them on the ground. And the people ate them with the blood. They swooped down. And so this very graphic. And you, you get this picture of uh, Saul being this vulture and doing, and doing wrong. Descriptive words. This uh, verse 20 now, we'll we'll go right to it. Uh, And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of Yahweh and gone on the mission on which Yahweh sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. (laughs) I mean, it's just you, you want to again taser him just to see him, you know, shake, rattle and roll. It just. What is with this guy? Is, is, he, that, is he that dense? I, I don't. I think he's just this full of himself. Self-centeredness blinds the soul. You can't see anything. Your soul, you, all you see is you. He has no disposition to acknowledge sin. He just can't say, I'm sin. I've, I'm wrong until he's forced. And it must have, I don't know that anybody was witness. Well, there had to be witnesses. Either Samuel told the story or somebody else told it or a collection of. But if you were saying it had to be painful watching this. King being picked apart by, by the prophet. And then hearing the king resort to such a cowardly response, such a lie. He's the king that lies shamelessly to God's servants. Saul was prepared to obey God's commandments to a point, and that's it. That, that means he was not devoted. That's the lack of devotion there. In his case, it was not weakness. It was wickedness. Now, weakness can morph into wickedness. It's not to be trifled with. But there's a great big difference between a man saying, I, I try to not do this, or Paul writes about that, the sin that I do that I wish I did not do. But sin in me. But that's not the case. This guy likes it. That's the big difference. And uh, not only his flesh, he just has no problem with it. So uh, he refused to comply because the best was slipping away. And what a shame to slaughter all those blue ribbon sheep and and, and oxen when you can just take them home. Yeah, but what did God say? God will understand when we give him a sacrifice or do his shut up. So when we seek... To, well, looking, let's look at this. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Uh, excuse me, what does, uh, define utterly, please, Saul. Just tell me what, what your definition of utterly is. 
Well, it means almost. That's, that's what his, it's, it's laughable, but not humorous. When we seek to honestly do right, we see more clearly. But when we try to do right and wrong at the same time, or just full out wrong, we, we get confused, we become blind. James says it this way, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. And here is a case of self-seeking. He wasn't seeking God, he was seeking himself. Not out of weakness, but out of wickedness. This man held too much power for it to be amusing, and sin is swallowing him up, and he's really not trying to fight it. And it will come out in succeeding chapters. Uh, you know, his hatred for David is just, it's just not, it's inexcusable that such an indecent character as Saul would hate such a decent lad as David. And we'll get to, we'll comment on a, tr- a trigger in a, in a little while. Verse 21. But he, uh, but the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice to Yahweh, your God, in Gilgal. And there he is again. He's still, see, he's not back down. He's, he's still blaming the people. After all Samuel has said, he's still blaming the people. And he's still disowning God. Typical. Well, we, we've come to expect this from him. He's despicable. And again, I'm not trying to be self-righteous. Like I'm, in me are, and you are all the codes to be as wicked. But I am not prepared to say I am like Saul. I am not prepared to say I am like Judas Iscariot. Are you prepared to say you are like any of these characters? I don't think so. So it's not self-righteous. I mean, that's one of the devil's traps is to say, you know, you have a, uh, you know, something in your eye when you're trying to take a heel, misuse that. Jesus made it clear. Yeah, you might have something in your eye. Just make sure it's not, you know, like 5,000 times bigger than the other guy. It's not a, we're not looking to attack to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. We're looking to learn from the mistakes of those pointed out in Scripture. And Saul, the first king of Israel, here, he's uh, admitted his sin. In fact, he admits his sin, it seems like, more than anybody else in the Bible. But he just, it never goes anywhere. David would confess his sin and work to fix it. But he doesn't benefit from admitting his sin because he's always blaming others. Yeah, I'm in there somewhere in the background. But really, it's these people that did this. He's going to do it some more. And though he openly rebelled against God, he has no sense of guilt. And he is not going to be blamed by Samuel or anybody else. Not without this him and hawing. Well, what about Agag? At what point did Samuel find out Agag was alive and in the camp? Well, we're not told. But Samuel will show Saul how it should have been done. And uh, Agag represents the Amalekites who represent the flesh. And Samuel will treat the flesh like we would like to treat the flesh. He'll hack it to death because he knows it's not going to die of old age. Uh, Verse uh, continuing in verse 21, he says, To sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal, Saul still speaking again with not my God, but your God. Uh, stolen sheep for God, everybody. Um, it's just, it's a tragedy. Imagine a drug dealer tithing from his drug deals. This is what, you know, like, well, what point does, God doesn't want your loot. Verse 22, so Samuel said, Has Yahweh as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of Yahweh? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Of course, this is one of the classic verses of Scripture, one of the great verses of the Old Testament. And Samuel is saying it is more important to obey God. Uh, Saul's view is more important to play religion than to respect God. Appearances, appearances. That's what counts with Saul. First uh, John. So with, with Saul, the label on the bottle says worship, but inside is disobedience. The label says ob- obedience, and it's something else. Always with Saul. First John chapter 2, verse 4. 
He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. <laughs> if you turn in your modern Bibles, there's a picture of Saul next to that verse. He says, obey, behold, to obey, that is to heed. Peter says, uh, you, you do well to heed the word of God. And uh, you, you, very moving verse. It is better to sacrifice, he continues, than to heed the fat of rams. This, this verse is worthy of a session all by itself. So I have to kind of move through it, not lingering on it too much because it's just so much here. But where he says, uh, is it better than sacrifice? To, uh, let me reread that. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. This is the whole premise of Isaiah chapter 1. The whole premise is you people are bringing sacrifices. God is nowhere. He's not, he, not only is he not interested, he's angry with you for it. Thumbing your nose at him. The fat of the ram was the portion that was burned and given to God. The meat would unless it was a whole burnt offering, would be for the people. Matthew chapter 15, And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And here, in this case, the preference of Saul. So God seeks those who love him, and obedience is the evidence of that love. I mean, how else do you establish it? If you love me, keep my commandments. Uh, this is what when Peter was confronted by Christ, and Christ said to him, Do you love me? And Peter said, oh, Lord, I don't love you as much as you want me to love you. Well, do you love me, Peter? Not as much as you want me to love you. Uh, he just, and he was just being honest. He said, I've been there. I, tr- I thought I loved you more than all of these. I thought I'd never let you down because of my love for you. But when faced with the proper combination of temptation and trial, I blew it. I could not understand the crucifixion. I could not understand your arrest. I fell apart. And now I'm not ready to say to you, Lord, that I can do all that you want me to do, even though you know I love you. It's a very touching moment there on the shore of Galilee. And we have been there, have we not, as believers? Uh, Maybe you've said something to someone and you wish you could take those words back, but you cannot, but you know that you did not mean it, or if you meant it at the time you said it, it was not right, and you know that, and you just look to God and you say, "I, I just can't do everything perfectly. And, of course, God says, you got that right. (laughs) Let's see what you do with it. Let's see what you do with others who are in the same boat as you. Verse 23, uh, for rebellion is as witchcraft, uh, is the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of Yahweh, he also has rejected you from being king. For rebellion is the sin of witchcraft, which is divination, which is trying to get in touch with forbidden spirits. And that's how God classifies the sin. And he says, this is rebellion against my authority. I've told you not to do it. And what are you doing sneaking around me anyway? You're supposed to come to me, but you're going to them. And they are opposed to me. And this is rebellion. It seeks to bypass the throne of Yahweh. It is a heightened form of sin. Saul later flagrantly commits this very sin. He goes to the witch at Endor to find out, you know, who's the winning horse in the first race. You know, what just does it matter? Does it even matter why he went there? He's not supposed to go. There was no reason. There's no acceptable reason to. There's a reason, but it is not acceptable. He says, and stubbornness is the iniquity of idolatry. Is stiff-necked. God is pulling you this way, and you refuse to go. This is uh, uh, this is not the same stubbornness as someone who's determined to do what they know is right, and others may be trying to get them off of that. That's a good kind of stubbornness. This is the bad type of stubbornness that holds to error when it knows it's error, and it's going to hold to it, uh, and nonetheless, because it wants what it wants. Because you have rejected Yahweh. Well, you're going to reap something for this rejection. He also has rejected you, and there it is. The crown crown goes from you, and the crowd goes, ooh. If any spectators are watching and they're hearing Samuel say this, they have got to be, oh, man, this is not going good for Saul. Too bad it wasn't instant. No, he's going to be king for a long time. Uh, But his, his children will not sit on the throne. 
And in, in the end, it will say that David, uh, Judah prevailed over Benjamin in 2 Samuel. Verse 24 now. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, and uh, for I have transgressed the commandment of Yahweh and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. He, well, he's admitting to it because he has to admit to it. But still, he's got the people in there, doesn't he? Why can't he just say, I have sinned, I have transgressed? Why does he have to bring up the people? Even if he's trying to say, yeah, I shouldn't have listened to that, why don't you shut your mouth? You sinned, let's leave it at that. Without Samuel's confronting him, he would never admit to this. Somebody else could come along and say, this is what you did wrong, and he'd probably have him killed even at this stage in his life. We'll get him later. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, because it is contrite, it is genuine. Then he says, not to be regretted, but... The sorrow of the world produces death. And that's what this is, the world's type of sorrow. Yeah, the plan didn't work out as I expected. Judas Iscariot, you know, yeah, it didn't work. I'm going to hang myself, punish somebody for it. Uh, whatever is going through his wicked head. Whereas Peter was just shattered. Just shattered by what he had done wrong. He wept bitterly, the Bible tells us. There, you know, there are certain scenes. If you could portray these scenes in a movie, you won't forget that part of the movie or the play, or whatever it is. And uh, this scene with Samuel and Saul, you, this was the highlight of the movie, if it was about, you know, the book of Samuel. And you get to the New Testament, the part about Peter weeping. I, I, and, you know, Jesus looked at Peter before the weeping. They made eye-to-eye contact. Jesus is arrested. Paul, uh, Peter is denying him. And they make eye-to-eye contact. As G. Campbell Morgan said, that look would have been wasted that look of Jesus would have been wasted if Peter didn't make it, to make the connection. And he did make the connection, and it wasn't wasted. And Peter went out and cried like a baby. How different from this man. Verse 24, Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed against the commandment. Oh, I just, I just, sorry, I read that. Um, well, God must have felt you need to hear it again. So, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord, and your words... It's the confession of a criminal, not the confession of a contrite heart, not again hating his sin, just disliking being held accountable and boxed in because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, Brother Aaron, the first high priest of Israel, in a similar situation, and it's kind of passed over. It's dealt with, and then they move on. As though though Aaron knew he was wrong. But let's reread it because it's, it's fun. <laughs> it's fun because it's not my turn in the hot seat. It's Aaron's. This is when Moses comes down and the people are dancing and having a good time around the golden calf, which is why we don't allow dancing in church. That's not the only reason, but that's one. Anyway, uh, so Aaron said, do not let the anger. Now, pause there. Somebody will pick that out of the whole sermon. <laughs> Say, dancing. You said no dancing in church. And that's all they remaining. Blacked out after that. Exodus 32. So Aaron said, Do not let the anger of the Lord become hot. You know how the people, you know the people, that they are set on evil. So we see Aaron doing the same thing. For they said to me, Make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, your brother, (laughs) the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, Whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me, and I cast it in the fire. And this calf came out. Now, if Moses was me, I would have busted out laughing in his face. Of course, Moses wasn't me. Moses had an anger issue. He'd he'd go to counseling. He'd sit there with his sandals and his robe. (laughs) Hi, I'm Moses. I have an issue with anger. (laughs) He did. I mean, he killed the guy in the sand. He was mad because he got found out. I mean, just so... We can relate. I can relate to him. Imagine Moses driving in downtown Brooklyn. Could you imagine? He'd be arrested. (laughs) Moses would be calling fire down on people. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Why did I see that? It's kind of a Charlton Heston thing still happening. (laughs) Well, anyway, somehow Aaron knew this was ridiculous. And, and Moses did too. But Saul, 
Saul just doesn't, he's very serious and he's deadly. And that's the disconnect. Aaron doesn't then go throwing spears at God's people. Saul will. Verse 25, Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship Yahweh. This is not the same class of sincerity of David before Nathan. He's maintaining his image here. Now, therefore, please, pardon my sin. Let's get past this. Okay, I said I'm sorry. Can we just move on? We know people like this. I mean, sometimes it's right. Sometimes, okay, look, you're just pouring salt in this. I've told you I've, I'm wrong, I'm sincere, and you won't let it go. <laughs> now you're starting to sin, and you're going to make me sin again. <laughs> Where's my taser? Anyway, oh, I'm the only one that's ever felt like that. You get busted and you, you repented and the other person is just going to drive you out, out of town. With tar and spoon you so you click when you walk. <laughs> you got to picture it. All right, anyway. Uh, if Samuel doesn't return with him, it's a problem for the nation. Because they're going to say, what happened to Samuel? He walked 15 miles here, heard about your little statue. Where is he? Uh, well, you know, we had a big fallout. What? You're not with the man of God? We're not with you. I mean, this is pretty big. Samuel's absence would, would tumble into suspicion that there was a row between the two, and the rift remained. So Samuel, of course, with the heart of a shepherd, knows better. And he's pretty angry at this point. He's, I'm out of here. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, verse 26, for you have rejected the word of Yahweh, and Yahweh has rejected you from being king over Israel. Liar. Okay, <laughs> it's adding to the scripture. Uh, that, that's, you know. Anyway, uh, Samuel knew this was the wrong kind of confession. He knows it. And he doesn't want any part to it. He admitted to being wrong. We went through all of that. And he wants no fellowship with the one who wants no fellowship with God. He wants to disfellowship himself from Saul. Uh, how could he? The man is so out of rhythm with God. How could Samuel sit at the table with him? Well, the way Samuel is going to do it is because of his heart for the people. Uh, that's how he's going to, to do it. He says, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Well, we think of David when David, of course, committed these egregious sins that, uh, you know, two Psalms sum up David. Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. They that tells you what David was going through. My bones, they were just hardening up in me while I was hiding my sin. He just goes into this whole story. It created me a clean heart, O God. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. He pours out these psalms to God. Saul says, look, don't leave. Come and eat with everybody. People are going to talk if you don't come. What a stark contrast. Verse 27, and Samuel turned around to go away. Saul seized the edge of his robe and tore it. Drama music right there. Who's paying for this? I mean, I think of that like if he ripped my jacket, like who pays for that? <laughs> well, it's the upper tunic. And he grabbed it hard enough to tear it. And Samuel is going to make metaphor of the moment. Uh, in verse 28, and Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbor, to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. I don't think Samuel's enjoying this enough. His heart is too broken. We know that at the end. He's angry. He's angry on multiple levels. I'm kind of enjoying it because I'm a little bit in the flesh over the whole thing. Because, I, you know, you, because the case is closed. What if Saul was alive today? I'd have a whole different approach. You know, I just want to distance myself from him, from him, hope that God would save him, but certainly salt the area so he cannot spread himself, uh, his evil. Uh, but... You know, if, if you can't obey, Saul is, Samuel is saying, you cannot command, not on this level. And he says, and has given it to a neighbor of yours who's better than, than you. Um, it doesn't seem to bother Saul at the time when I read this. And going back to chapter 13. But now your kingdom shall not continue. Yahweh has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And Yahweh has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what Yahweh commanded you. That was Saul um, messing it up. And God saying, there's a man with a heart after mine. That's what makes him better than Saul. What made David better than Saul? David chased God. Saul did not. 
and, and this, this, it, while it doesn't bother him now, the seeds of jealousy are there. And Saul is going to be shaken. We pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 18. This is after David had slain Goliath and he had become a commander in Saul's army. He was under Saul's authority and he's out conquering Philistines and, and, and he, victories are piling up. So the women sang and they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens thousands. Then Saul was very angry. We pause there. This is not, this is the anger that wants blood. It is the, the events uh, confirm this. This is not, boy, I don't like that guy. This is, boy, I am going to kill that guy. And it continues. And the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands, because he's self-centered. He picks up on anything that is, does not promote him. Now, what more can they have but the kingdom? That was his conclusion. And, well, how about what Samuel said to you? The kingdom's torn from you. Remember when you tore his robe? No, I don't remember. That probably would have been. He probably probably so kooky. David so endeared himself to God. Uh, after acts of, of shame, even, that God never let him go. He shows up 500 years later in the prophecies of, you know, of, of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Ezekiel has him on the throne in the millennial kingdom. Uh, I mean, as I mentioned, I think, last session, he's the last man mentioned in the Bible. Other than Jesus Christ, directly named is David, the throne of David, the seed of David. And these contrasts are the flesh and the spirit. Imagine being the last man named in God's word. I, I would, you know, you know, have my name the last name. <laughs> it is what an honor. And we can't lose sight of that. And that's why I keep saying Because I know there have been those over the years that I've met that have sort of harbored a grudge on David for his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. You say, well, you know what? God didn't harbor that grudge. You better watch your step. Uh, Jesus Christ is associated with this man directly and not shamefully, right out honorably. Anyway, verse 29, And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. And so he personifies the strength of Israel, refers to God. When he says, for he is not a man, here in verse 29, he should not relent. That means God does not back down. Uh, his rejection Came along in Deuteronomy. God said, I'll bless you if you obey. But if you don't, to the whole nation, the curses will follow. Verse 30. Then he said, I have sinned. Yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel. And return with me that I may worship Yahweh, your God. There a third time. It's not a mistake. It's not a mistake. The Holy Spirit is saying, see what's inside this man's head and his heart. It's, it's not my God. Our God. It is your God, Samuel. I said I was sorry. Now come back with me. Appearances mean everything, Samuel. Who cares about what does substance when we can have appearances? Rehoboam, they stole the golden shields of Solomon, so he put bronze shields up. What kind of, what was that? Some find it honorable. I would have found it just sad. He says that I may worship Yahweh your God, with what? Utter, <laughs> utter half truths? Verse 31. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul worshipped. Uh, let me reread verse 31, because it's a key part to this. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul worshipped Yahweh. And so there's is the Samuel, with his shepherd heart, he goes back because of the people with his torn robe. And I wonder if anybody, how'd you get that, Samuel? Pretty sloppy today, aren't we? Uh, of course, that's just attempts at humor. Two men are standing here in contrast to each other, worshiping side by side. One with a love and loyalty in his heart that is, uh, cannot be outmatched, and the other, not so. It's a tragedy. It really is. And not fun uh, beating up on Saul, but it, I think it would be ex inexcusable. We're going to have a Tozer quote in a little bit that really says something about not covering up the lessons from Scripture 
for people's sake, because it's not for their sake. It would be against them. Verse 32, then Samuel said, bring Agag, king of the Amalekites, here to me. So Agag came to him cautiously, and Agag said, surely the bitterness is past. <laughs> you can hear his voice changing, because <laughs> he can see that Samuel is about to take out a lot of stuff on him that he would like to have taken out on Saul. <laughs> so, uh, while Saul plundered, of course, the Amalekites, many of them escaped. Haman, proof of that in other sections of Scripture. But Samuel knows the deal, and he knows that... Uh, the Amalekites and Agag, they weren't out selling cookies one season of the year. The Girl Scouts. Uh, they, were, they were bad people. And he didn't, he was a monster is, is what I'm trying to say. This word, so Agag came to him cautiously. It's translated elsewhere, that Hebrew word, as daintily. You know, he's just kind of like walking with thin ice, but trying to be cheerful at the same time all over, right? We're good. We're past the whole judgment thing. Nope. Uh, he's, and Agag said, surely the business is past. Verse 33, but Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before Yahweh and Gilgal, and, and in front of everybody else, too. Saul had to be saying, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I didn't think the old guy had it in him. <laughs> and this is another scene in the scripture that once you see it, you don't forget. This is how you treat the flesh. If you can treat it, hack it to death with a sword. Unfortunately, the flesh has a sword too. It fights back. So uh, there's the indictment. As you have made women childless, you've been a murderer, so you are going to be murdered or executed. And he hacked them thorough, without apology and without hesitation. I think sometimes we we apologize for the, or may be tempted to apologize for the gospel. We may not be thorough with it. It's not catch and release. We fishers of men. We're, we're looking to save souls and not uh, let them off the hook when they feel convicted. Uh, no hesitation uh, for this. I think. There was probably something in the way Agag carried himself, spoke, glanced at something, something set that man off in a special way, a holy zeal with no quarter for the flesh. A.W. Tozier says this. I think this is from his uh, a biography by Snyder on Tozier. Uh, but this is what Tozier said. The fashion now, and this is probably in the 50s, late 50s, early 60s when he said this, the fashion now is to tolerate anything lest we gain the reputation of being intolerant. The tender-minded saints cannot bear to see Agag slain. So they choose rather to sacrifice the health of the church for years to come by sparing error and evil. And this they do in the name of Christian love. So if Tozier was a prize fighter, he would have beat everybody <laughs> he was just amazing how he could formulate these truths in language that nobody could mistake what was being said. So full of doctrine. I had a few more Tozer quotes, but I, I had, we don't have time. I had to take them out. Anyway, if the prophet could comply with God, what was the king's problem? Verse 34, Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul. <laughs> Yeah, you know what Saul was saying? Did you see the way he hacked that guy? <laughs> Man, how do you forget? If you've ever seen anything traumatic, it does not go away quickly. It stays with you for days. Anyway, verse 35. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and Yahweh regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. That last part of the verse, Yahweh regretting, of course, it wasn't the regret of, ah, I made a mistake, I shouldn't have done that. That's not it at all. It is, this is not what I was aiming for. The failure of Saul is on Saul. I did not engineer his collapse. And that is true of all sinners. If they are in hell, it is their fault, not God's fault. If they've heard the gospel and rejected it, uh, what defense do they have? So nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul. Uh, Saul did not mourn for Samuel. We don't read of him, man, you know what, I think I, I upset the old guy. No, none of that. Instead, 
He took hold of the flesh life. And, um, you know, you've seen some of those stickers, the salt life. I'm innocent enough. But I see them, and I always think of the flesh life. It's, that's the flesh life, uh, not the spirit life. Anyway, and I don't mean if you have that sticker in your car. I'm not saying you should take it off or anything. I just shouldn't have said anything, probably. <laughs> Oops. So, uh, only one goes home with their heart broken. How does that work out? Two people seeing the still one, two thieves on the cross. One goes to heaven, one does not. One, one here, his heart is broken, and God sees it and stamps it uh, for on the record for all the ages to read. Nothing said of the other one. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Not what God hoped for. A man like Saul saddens heaven and earth. That's the point. Let's pray. Oh, Father, what a serious, a serious lesson for us this evening through the life of this man, Saul. But we are grateful that is, this is not the only option, it's not the only story, that there is also a man after your own heart who we will get to examine and consider <clears throat> so that we could better understand our own Christian walk, so that we could be better used as vessels to preach the gospel, especially in these last of the last days, as it is becoming clearer and clearer that the approach of Antichrist is ramping up, that the globalization that is before us is all about Satan damning souls. But we are still here with the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And may we fall into greater knowledge of you to be used by you in our prayer time and our ministry and our lives all these things and much more lord we have to pray to you may you get us all home safely we ask in jesus name amen